right? Just a word about why we do boot camp. My experience in uh, what's often called making the spiritual exercises was that it felt to me like it took me like six, eight, ten weeks to kind of figure out what was going on. And you may still have a little bit of that experience, but um, after we did it the first time, we realized that if we would front load um, some of the basic teachings and help you get oriented, that that would help you get some traction early on in the process. So that is our hope today, to give you some practical orientations, and honestly, just to motivate you and encourage you and give you a sense as to what you're, what you're doing, what you're embarking upon. So let me give you an introduction here. Um, first of all, I didn't make up transformation intensive. Um, <laughs> I, I made up the name. I will take credit for that. But um, I didn't make it up. We are actually entering into an old uh, tradition that's almost 500 years old, um, started by a man named Ignatius of Loyola. Um, Ignatius of Loyola had his own transformation intensive when he was about 30 years old. So you'll learn a lot more about him, but it's important for me to give you just a little snippet here because all of the spiritual exercises, which is what we are entering into, really flow out of his own personal life story, which is the way it is, I think, for all of us. Um, it is from the, the struggles of our own lives that are the life that, the, the gifts that we have to give to the world come forth from this place of struggle. So um, at age 30 in uh, 1521, uh, Ignatius was wounded in a battle in uh, Pamplona, Spain. His ambition in life was to be um, a courtly soldier. So he wanted to be in service of a king. He wanted to, um, he loved the way he looked in tights. He, uh, <laughs> He's, he was a sword fighter. He was a ladies' man. I mean, if you think of sort of the Spanish machismo, this is the man that he wanted to be. And he was wounded in a battle, and this was the change in his life. Um, it was a very long and difficult recovery, and in the, that time of recuperation, he started reading um, the only thing that was available to him, which was the, life, the lives of the saints. And um, now I'm forgetting the other thing that he was reading. But what it did was it helped him to start imagining a different life for himself, especially when he realized he now had a profound disability that would make it impossible for him to be a soldier again. So over a period of about uh, two to three years, he, under, he underwent this very deep and profound inner transformation. Um, and while he was doing that, he kept a journal, he kept notes of what he was doing. And it, those notes eventually became the spiritual exercises. Um, it's not so much a book as a process. I've often met people who said, oh, could you get me a copy of the spiritual exercises? I'd love to read those. And then they look at them and they're like, what? I don't really get this. This isn't like John of the Cross or Teresa Avila. This is like, I don't understand what the big deal is about this. And it's because it's not actually about the text of the spiritual exercises. There are a few little beautiful gems in there, but really it's a process. So we're not inviting you into devotion to his book. 
we're really inviting you into uh, the process that he first experienced himself and then led others into. Um, I love this little quote by Eugene Peterson about the spiritual exercises. He says, it was written by a soldier or a former soldier. This is a regimented and orderly sequence of guided meditation for one month. We're doing not the one month, but the extended version of it. Its influence is vast. Meditation, always in danger of slipping into pious wool gathering, is put into sturdy biblical, a sturdy biblical harness and made to pull the imagination into prayer. There is much wisdom here capable of endless adaptation to different temperaments and situations. Um, I think it's helpful. I'm a church history person. That's my formal training, and so you might not even care about church history. I, I love church history, so this is for those of you who care about that. Um, it's nice to know that this is, he's part of the Reformation era. Um, sometimes he gets really a bad rap because it seems like he's working against the Reformation, which in some ways he is, the Protestant Reformation, but he's actually working for the Reformation of the Catholic Church at the time. So in some ways, his, his desires, his passions are very much like the reformers that many of us admire. Um, so when he's 31, Martin Luther is 39. Uh, the uh, uh, 95 Theses are published um, in 1517, about five years later, the nation, the spiritual exercises are published. Um, John Calvin at the time is 13. He's not, his, his institutes aren't published until later. Uh, Thomas Cramner, for those of you who are Anglicans, um, he was 33 at the time and published the Book of Common Prayer in, 1940, in 1548. So really we're right in the middle of just all that like energetic uh, change in Europe. Over time, um, it becomes a little more predictable and staid. Uh, initially, it's, it was used person to person to um, bring reformation of the heart. Uh, people would receive the exercises and then they would turn around and give it to others. That was when it was sort of you know, not very institutionalized. Over time, the spiritual exercises primarily became a tool of formation for uh, the Jesuits, um, and still men who are discerning a call to, uh, to the priesthood and in particular to the Jesuit uh, way of serving make this in a 30-day retreat. That guy in the middle, uh, his name is Mark. I was actually in class with him. So it gives you the sense like this is like a living, a living tradition. But Ignatian spirituality is not just about the Jesuits. It is really quite widespread. Uh, when I was studying at Loyola, I met um, these nuns from China whose order was inspired by the spiritual exercises, and they were serving um, the poor in, the, in rural China. Um, so it gets everywhere. The Seneca sisters um, as well, I don't know, it, it, you can go back one, one slide. If any of you... Um, are familiar with what used to be called the, the Seneca in Warrenville, the Seneca sisters, their whole spirituality is also Ignatian. So Ignatian spirituality is all over the place, and you don't really know it. It's not necessarily in their name. You don't know until you sort of research into the fine print where they're at. Um, they're, Anglicans actually embraced 
um, the spiritual exercises quite profoundly coming out of the Oxford movement in England. Um, there's, a, there's a religious order within the Anglicans called the Society of St. John the Evangelist that actually still exists. They have one, um, they have one uh, retreat house, I think, in Boston. Don't quote me on that. Very small. They're mostly uh, decrepit by now, but very small. <laughs> uh, they're not expanding or growing. I mean, they might have a few young youngsters. But actually, this, this group of um, sort of dynamic missional Anglicans are part of what established the Episcopal Church in this region. So um, there is an interesting... Uh, connection with, with the Oxford movement. But part of what was happening in the Oxford movement was uh, because the Church of England had become very much like a state church, it was sort of like, I'm English, I'm Anglican. Um, it, was, it, was, it was in need of change and reform, and out of the rock Oxford movement came this recovery of the more um, Catholic uh, dimensions of spirituality and one of the things that influenced it were the um, exercises, spiritual exercises. It's very interesting that there's a, one of the earliest translations into English out of the Spanish autograph is by an Anglican. <laughs> um, most of those Jesuits, they never heard of this guy. I'm like, you guys, you know, a little credit here, please, you know. Um, there is something called the Society of Retreat Conductors, which really is the beginning of um, spiritual direction in general becoming a real part of Anglican spirituality. And until uh, probably the inflow of Jungian psychology into spiritual direction, it was primarily Ignatian in its orientation. So I just feel really good about claiming <laughs> the Ignatian exercises as an Anglican. Um, I don't think there's, we have anything to apologize for. So there's a good track record there. All right, a little bit about the contemporary movement. Um, for a long time, this was something that like, only people who were like preparing for religious life would do the spiritual exercises. But in the 1960s, the fire sort of jumped out of the fireplace um, as I, I think really surrounding the charismatic renewal that was going on at that time. So uh, in the 60s, the Senecal sisters began writing their own materials. I've seen notebooks very much that look like this on like mimeographed pages of paper. And they started um, these what are called at-home retreats, which means you take the 30-day experience and you expand it into eight or nine months, which is what we're doing, and started these retreat centers all over the country. Uh, and then Vatican II came along and encouraged people to actually explore you know, why did you start this religious order in the first place? So those two things, the Senecal sisters working and this sort of energy from the Vatican II started to open up the spiritual exercises and get them out of the cloister, so to speak, and into the broader circulation. Um, so homespun publishing efforts uh, put retreat materials into the hands of lay people. Uh, this is a, uh, an elderly former Senecal nun who somehow found out about what we were doing. And she's like, oh, I've got all these like mimeographed things that I, know, I don't know what to do with them. So she gave them all to me. And uh, <laughs> so this is just a little page out of one of these mimeographed um, 
set of instructions to help people make their way through the spiritual exercises. So I feel like we're sort of in the, uh, still f riding that wave. Let me go ahead and change. So there, as the Jesuits, of course, were also very involved in this. You'll read some of these names. William Berry, John Padberg, Joseph Tetlow, John O'Malley, George Ashenbrenner. All these guys are like in their 80s now, but in the 70s, 80s, 90s, they were really the voice getting the spiritual exercises out to the ordinary person. Um, William Berry is the author of that little booklet, the small book that we're reading. And um, these men, I think, were very important in getting... Uh, bringing into focus the the uh, the psychological power of the spiritual exercises, William Berry, very influential, was a psychi psychologist by training, and you'll notice those sorts of emphases as we make our way through the spiritual exercises. So, some other voices, um, not just Catholics doing this. Um, this book is quite important, and this is. Uh, published in 2006 by Baker Books, is called Sacred Listening. Anyone been exposed to Sacred Listening? Yeah, a few people. Um, George Wakefield tested his adaptation with evangelicals and other Protestant groups in about 1985. It's still in print. Um, I don't know how widely, I have no idea what its publishing record is, but it's there. Um, another um, evangelical voice is... Um, Larry Warner, this one is published uh, by InterVarsity Press in 2010, and he was adapting the spiritual exercises and testing them with seminarians at uh, Biola uh, University. Um, I like his book, but it's also, when you read it, you realize you'd kind of have to be in seminary and like not have a day-to-day -day life and job to be able to do this. <laughs> so. Um, but the difference that we're shifting into with transformation intensive is uh, what came out of the 60s, 70s, and 80s was, a, was very much a like one-on-one -on -one, uh, experience of the exercises. Um, Seneca sisters thought about groups. We're also thinking about um, groups. But these these two books by um, that are available to evangelicals really don't have the idea of the group experience in mind. So that's really something in particular that we're bringing. Okay. All right, so a little bit about transformation intensive, how we got here. Uh, let me tell you this story. So um, this is a church in Naperville. I don't know if you've ever had occasion to drive by it. Um, I see my spiritual director there. When I joined the sta staff at Church of the Resurrection, um, I was required to have a spiritual director. And um, I have to be completely honest, yeah, years ago, I had, you know, very influential people in my life who were very suspicious of spiritual direction. And uh, I really dragged my feet about finding a spiritual director. Um, and I, I actually asked, like, several people who were like, you know, I know you too well, or I'm full, or whatever. So I finally ended up with a fairly newly trained um, spiritual director at this church in Naperville. And um, after about a year of meeting with her, she invited me into their um, at-home retreat of the spiritual exercises at St. Margaret Mary Parish. Uh, it was by invitation only. Um, it ran January through October, which meant we were never synced up with the church calendar. It was really interesting to be 
praying about the nativity in like June. Um, <laughs> uh, we met weekly for 90 minutes um, as, a, as a group. And um, then we would meet one-on-one -on -one with our spiritual directors each week. So it was a pretty significant commitment. This means I'm driving to Naperville, you know, twice a week. Um, it was very simple. Um, I like to call it 14 people in a candle. Um, so <laughs> you would come into the room and it was just a circle with a candle in the middle. And um, I was used to like really high setup things at Church of the Resurrection. We were running a midweek service. You know, you've got to schedule the sound tech and you've got to schedule the musicians and the speakers. And, you know, this was so simple. You know, 14 chairs and a candle. What's, how's this going to go? Uh, and a giant notebook of prayer materials. You, this notebook might seem big to you. Ours was twice this size. We've actually reduced it a little bit. Um, that's, that's us. Uh, the two women on the bottom row, um, to the left and the right, are both nuns. Um, the rest of us were all, uh, me and one other person were not Catholic. Everyone else was Catholic. And we worked through the materials together. I was, I was actually preparing for ordination at the time, and they said, well, you know, you have to commit to 13 weeks, and then, you know, that's, then you can, you don't have to continue if you don't want to. And I was like, oh, that'd be perfect. 13 weeks, that sounds about right. You know, I don't have time for like praying every day, seeing a spiritual director once a week, going to the, I mean, it's like, this is too busy. 13 weeks, that will be, that will be fine. Um, but as I started into this experience, I realized that my life was being changed quite radically, that this was, in fact, the most profound and powerful formation experience that I'd ever had. Uh, no one had ever wanted to talk to me for an hour a week about what was going on in my prayer life. Um, I started to feel that renewal, that, that sense of like, oh, I remember this when I was a young Christian in my teens. I felt this returning to the sense of my first love. And um, it brought a lot of things together for me. So about halfway through, I thought, wow, we've got to do this at Church of the Resurrection. Um, so we adapted, adapted it a little bit. Let me read you this quote. This is from the, uh, from the spiritual exercises, from what's called the annotations, which are just little notes. Ignatius says this, the spiritual exercises have to be adapted to the dispositions of the persons who wish to receive them, that is, to their age, education, or ability. A person of education or ability who is taken up with public affairs or suitable business may take an, an hour and an hour and a half daily to exercise himself. Let the same course be kept as explained below in the full exercises themselves. Um, so I wanted to adapt per uh, Ignatius's instructions. Um, my first question was, you know, will anyone want to do this? If I say, so, you know, you have to pray an hour a day, you gotta be in this group, will anyone want to do it? That was our first question. Uh, the second one was, could we adapt the prayer materials to fit our evangelical eth ethos? Um, I've really done my best to do that. I, if anything, I've actually tried to take out any of the like uniquely over-spiritualized language, maybe, to try to keep things as, as concrete and simple as possible. And then simply, 
the other one is would it would small group spiritual direction, which is what we're doing here, would that work just as well as the one-on-one? Um, so I pitched it to our uh, clergy team and our go ahead. Um, you can go one more. That's that's fine. So I pitched it to our staff and they said, sure, give it a try. So we started with a pilot and um, it also ran January to October. So everyone got to pray about the nativity in June. Um, I had 30 spots. I had 10 leaders. And the first time we opened it up, we had almost 70 applications for those 30 spots, which just indicated to me that the Holy Spirit was doing something. Uh, the other fascinating thing is I really, I really wanted um, spiritual directors to lead these small groups, but the only spiritual director that I knew was Brenna Jones. So I started making some phone calls, um, sending emails saying, uh, looking for spiritual directors uh, who might want to do this. And all of a sudden, it seemed like, like spiritual directors were like falling out of the sky. Um, <laughs> uh, I was looking for men, and so I, I wrote to um, a group called Christos, which trains spiritual directors here, and they said, oh, yeah, there are these two guys, Ned Arnold and George Ridgway. You know, you should get to know them. And then I had an intern working with me at the time whose name was Keith, and he said, oh, those two guys go to res. So my, my first conversation with these men is, hey, would you like to make a huge commitment <laughs> and go on an adventure with us to see what happens? So we're now uh, five iterations down the road. Um, let me give you just a little bit of, well, I don't, I'm not going to go any further. George is actually going to introduce sort of the body of the spiritual exercises and motivate uh, you and orient you to what's going on. But look, can you guys go ahead and pass out those schedules? Um, you'll notice in your notebook, it's divided into um, a few sections. The last section is the thickest one. It's a resource section, and that's actually probably the least important um, part of things. But I wanted to give you all of those resources in advance. There's also a, um, if you take a look at this, it'll give you a sense of how the spiritual exercises works. And George will say more about this in just a minute. So you'll see on this that the uh, experience is broken up into four sections. We are right now in what's called the preparation days. And we will begin after the, um, we'll begin on the 25th with the actual work of the first week, which will basically take us till the beginning of Advent. Um, that's your getting off point. So if for some reason you get into this and you realize, I don't have time, I have too many distractions, or something unusual comes up in your life that just makes it impossible for you to focus, you can talk to your group leader and no one will grill you. There will not be an announcement made as to why you left. 
it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a graceful sort of jumping off point. So I, I would encourage you as you begin, if you start to get overwhelmed at the thought of doing this for nine months, to just keep in mind that you, you do have a, uh, an exit door um, in a few months if you want to get off at that point.